Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 357 of the Bossed Up Podcast. Today is an important episode all about talking about abortion at work. A quick disclaimer before we dive in, the information that I'm providing on today's podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials shared here today are for informational purposes only. Let's dive in. As we're coming back from a long holiday weekend here in the United States, which frankly, should be a day of celebrating independence and freedom, I have to admit it feels pretty hollow since not even two weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, ultimately denying the protection of women's reproductive rights at a federal level. This is the first time in history that constitutional rights are being taken away instead of expanded. And this decision is especially harmful for BIPOC, lower income, immigrant, LGBTQ plus people, and other traditionally marginalized communities, as well as the healthcare providers who serve those communities. So there's a lot to be depressed about, to be fearful about, to be angry about, but here's what we are not going to do. This is not a time to shy away from talking about abortion. We have got to be unequivocal here. Abortion access affects everyone. It affects you, the people you love, and yeah, the people you work with day in and day out. We know that one in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime. So if you work with women or people who love women or anyone who can be pregnant, who can become a pregnant person, or if your organization serves any of those people, this is something that's not just going to impact your team. It's going to impact your organization and your business's bottom line. So today I want to talk about how we can talk about this issue and talk about abortion at work. As recently as last week, a member of the Bossed Up Courage community, our Facebook group, asked this, hey, how are we addressing the loss of Roe with our teams? I don't want to assume I know anything about my staff's beliefs. I work in tech, but this is an enormous burden for us all to carry in an already stressful work environment. So I really want to answer that question today and and use that conversation we're having in the Courage community as a launching point and inspiration for today's episode. Because for many of us, myself included, by the way, this is new terrain, you know, talking publicly or talking with your colleagues about abortion is probably not on the top three list of conversations we're all looking forward to. But I'm speaking out today because I think we all need to do more. I think we all need to be talking more about this. I think we need to be talking more about this with the people in our lives, personally, but also professionally. And this is especially true for managers who have to figure out how to make our workplaces a safe environment for everyone, especially as we navigate a very stressful 
news cycle and, and, and reality of what this turnover um, at the Supreme Court level means. So before I dive in, why do we need to speak about this? People are scared. People are feeling attacked. People are being attacked. You know, this overturning of Roe v. Wade is already causing harm. You don't need to look very far into the news headlines these days to see impossible choices that medical providers are already having to make as a result of this legally murky landscape that we're now in. So making space for these kinds of conversations just goes back to safety in a very basic way. If you want to create a workplace where people feel safe, it's imperative that we create space to talk about how people are feeling about the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And look, you don't need to be a fan of abortion or a fan of talking about reproduction and people's personal choices to be willing to acknowledge how triggering, how threatening, how traumatizing this turn of events has been for so many. So if you work at a company that had any kind of a response to the rising Black Lives Matter movement or police brutality in 2020, or has held space to talk about pride or LGBTQIA plus rights, or has had any kind of women's ERG, employee resource group, there is no excuse to stay silent on this issue. In fact, I think uh, Jeremy Stoppelman, the CEO of Yelp, put it best when he wrote an op-ed for Fast Company last month in which he said, quote, Companies who have for years claimed that diversity and inclusion is a priority must recognize that restricting women's rights to decide when to have children will severely impact their well-being and limit their access to equitable opportunities for success in the workplace. When roughly 50% of the U.S. population faces greater barriers, not only to participating in the workforce and advancing to leadership positions, but simply to exercise their right to self-determination, it undermines any corporate commitment to gender equity. And remaining silent on the issue of reproductive rights flies in the face of any public pledges professing a desire to create more diverse and inclusive companies, end quote. So how do we begin talking about abortion at work? First, you got to give yourself and others time and space to mourn what is essentially the loss of rights that we've all just experienced. So make some designated time, and, and set some space and time aside for discussion. Whether it's a casual conversation over lunch or some more formal agenda item at an all-hands meeting, you're going to want to make it known ahead of time that this is a conversation you're going to host or a forum that you'll host to discuss this kind of topic in particular so that folks can opt in or out based on their preference and their comfort level. We never want to mandate that everyone be forced to share their feelings on something like this. And we don't want to surprise people with this as a conversation either. Now, keep in mind, you don't need formal authority or seniority to start this kind of a conversation. Although it certainly helps if you are in a position of power and leadership to make it okay to have this conversation, anyone can start a conversation like this. So think of it as like anyone, no matter what your position, can post on a company chat channel like Slack saying something like, look, I'm feeling really affected by the overturn of Roe v. Wade. I'd love to share lunch with anyone else who's feeling 
upset, who might want to talk about, you know, how you're coping with the news. So I'll be in the break room at 1230 if anyone wants to join me, right? It can be that subtle. It can be that simple. And it can be powerful to start that conversation in a courageous way. So don't wait for permission. If this is a conversation that you want to start, do it. When you find yourself at that conversation table, right, when, you, when you've pulled that table together to talk, set some ground rules. What's your intent behind hosting this discussion? What ground rules are you going to ask everyone to adhere to? If you're worried about your colleagues' ability to remain civil especially, try heading that off by setting some basic norms or collective agreements that you'll stick to. Guidelines like that might include We're not here to persuade one another. We're here to listen to one another. Or we're going to speak to one another with respect. Or we're not here to argue over right and wrong, but instead to acknowledge that our feelings and experiences are valid. You know, at the outset, explain that if these ground rules are not adhered to or if they're violated, you know, how are you going to address that? How are you going to intervene? How are you going to disrupt violations of those norms? And if they persist, that you can't have this conversation anymore, right? You're going to have to shut it down because you don't want to risk creating a hostile work environment for anyone. Now, another key point that I want you to consider when hosting this kind of a conversation is to listen actively. Show your colleagues that you hear them by mirroring back what they're saying. This is especially important for managers or anyone in positions of power and authority to take to heart because it's rare, frankly, that managers find themselves repeating back to their people what they're hearing. But this is an opportunity to really do that and demonstrate active listening very intentionally. So you might say, okay, Fred, I hear you're afraid of the health implications that you and your wife may face as a result of this. Is that right? So you can essentially ask for clarification to make sure you're understanding where they're coming from. Or you might say, okay, Sarah, you're reconsidering the idea of relocating to our New Mexico office as a result of the changing legal landscape there. Is that what I'm hearing? Your job, I think, in this instance should be to find, you know, understanding in terms of empathizing where people are coming from, whether you're a leader or not. I think that's a powerful way to build community at work and validate what you're hearing people say. Now, the bottom line here is that it's highly unlikely that anything you say is going to make your colleagues' concerns disappear. But that's not the point of these conversations. The point is to make sure people feel heard and that their thoughts and feelings are validated. Easier said than done, especially when dealing with folks you disagree with. Uh, you know, so think about what you what boundaries you need to put up to maintain your sense of safety, your mental health and well-being. But know that this is an opportunity for us to understand where others are coming from and to come together and share where you're coming from too. My final tip on this on this piece of starting this kind of a conversation at work is to give yourself grace. Give people around you grace too. You know, if you're not operating your best right now, that's because you're a human being. You know, triggering news cycles impact all of our ability to focus and be productive. And that's 
to be expected. We're not robots. So expecting perfection from yourself and others all the time is futile and totally can backfire. By creating a psychologically safe workplace, you know, in trying times, by actually showing that you know, if you mess up, if you're not operating perfectly all the time, you're not going to be immediately canned, that we're human beings, that we're fallible, that we make mistakes, that we have off days, you know, making it okay to not be okay all the time actually increases trust, engagement, and retention. So daring to say that it's okay to not be okay is not only the right thing to do, it's also the strategic thing to do for good business, for good organizational safety and practices. Now, when going about talking about abortion at work, you've got to think about engaging your allies. We know that all kinds of people across the gender spectrum can find themselves directly impacted by abortion care and reproductive care that includes abortion. So talk to men about this issue. Why do so many men find that they're on the outside of these conversations looking in, right? Why do so many men feel like they're able to skirt the issue of abortion altogether? This is not a conversation or a burden that women should be carrying alone. Men have to be part of this conversation and be a partner in dismantling this belief that reproductive rights are some women's issue that is some niche issue. After all, one in five men have been involved in an abortion, which makes sense if you think about it for more than half a second, because men are usually involved in getting pregnant in the first place, right? So the ramifications of this ruling also impacts the mental, physical, and financial support of men. And just, you know, historically, there just has not been a lot of space for men to talk about their feelings when it comes to how abortion impacts them. So I'm not saying that men need to be front and center in this conversation or that should be running or dominating every conversation about abortion access, but invite men into the conversation as allies. Encourage the men in your workplace to step up and become active participants in amplifying the voices of women, the experiences they've had, and being vocal advocates to help create change. I certainly have been talking a lot in my household to the men in my life about how they need to be talking to the men in their lives about this issue too. This cannot be something that women whisper to one another about in the hallways, especially knowing that men sit in positions of power in almost all of our workplaces and that men in ultimate positions of power, including the Supreme Court, can make decisions about a woman's right to choose or about how our workplaces respond in moments like this, then the men who are allies with us in this quest for gender equity on this issue around reproductive justice in particular, particular have to be willing to defend our rights and to be advocates and allies in this process. This cannot be relegated to simply being a women's issue. And if we enlist men in the dialogue, in the conversation, it won't be. Dr. Brian Wynn, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Southern California, was recently interviewed by NPR all about how to go beyond this sort of us versus them thinking when it comes to how men and women experience the issue of abortion. And he said, quote, to me, what men need to be risking is their own comfort of having to grapple with an issue that women are forced to do biologically. All right, 
step three here is to organize and advocate for your workplace to take a stand. So you've started having these courageous conversations at work. You've engaged your allies in the discussion. So now what? How can you turn conversation into action? This is where the organizer in me cannot help but come out. Okay, let's talk about how you can bring colleagues together to take collective action in a meaningful way. And remember, coming together to discuss the conditions of your workplace is a protected right. The National Labor Relations Act of 1935 protects your right to discuss the conditions of your employment, including issues related to safety and pay and benefits, even when you're not protected by a union. So when coming together with colleagues, do so with the intention of specifically discussing the conditions of your workplace as it relates to helping all employees feel safe. That might look like making a list of ways your HR team can support workers who need access to safe abortion care, like Tesla, who recently announced that they'll cover travel-related expenses for employees forced to go out of state to have an abortion. Similarly, Dick's Sporting Goods CEO, Lauren Hobart, was one of the first to announce publicly the provision of a stipend that they're making available for covering costs associated with accessing abortion care. And we've seen a lot of private sector leaders come out of the woodwork right now because we need that, okay? We need that when our government institutions are going backwards. We need pressure from the private sector to continue driving this conversation forward and and progressing, uh, advocating for our rights. So think about what particular ramifications your team members may face as a result of this decision. For example, for Lyft and Uber drivers, they are really in a specific bind because now in some states, they risk being criminally charged for aiding and abetting a pregnant person's choice to seek an abortion across state lines. So for Lyft and Uber, you know, they recently announced that they're prepared to cover any necessary legal defense costs if and when their drivers find themselves in that position. So, you know, the intricacies of how this will show up for your workforce depend on your unique workplace. Think about what particular risks and challenges and obstacles the people in your company or your organization may face and what your company can do to show support. So when you're coming together with your colleagues, try to turn those concerns, those risks that you feel like you and your colleagues are now facing into a list of demands. What can your company do to help? What can your company do to protect your workers and take a stand? Write those demands down. Consider drafting an open letter to management and try to come together around a concise but meaningful list of things that your leadership can do so that you can maximize the number of signatures from colleagues that you're going to be able to obtain. Because that's your next step, is to get as many members of your workplace to sign on to that letter and really show management that you've got numbers on your side, that you have a lot of people who support this desire for your leadership to make a public stand. And remember, this kind of concerted activity is a protected right so long as you focus on work-related issues that concern your working conditions, benefits, or bringing group complaints to the employer's attention. And if your workplace responds to these efforts by penalizing you or disciplining you in any way, document it diligently. You know, 
and and call a labor attorney right away to better understand your rights and and what you can do to protect yourself. And that brings me to the final part of today's podcast, which honestly brings me no pleasure at all to even have to talk about. But that is how to take precautions if you find yourself tuning in right now from a state that has recently criminalized abortion. So if you're one in one of those states that has trigger laws on the books that almost immediately criminalized abortion upon the overturn of Roe v. Wade, you have got to be careful about protecting yourself. This is really new terrain. We don't know what enforcement's going to look like. There's a lot of uncertainty right now, and you have every right to feel afraid because your rights are under attack. So I want you to be safe, and I want you to know some of the best practices that are emerging and some of the resources that are available to you. The first thing to consider is how to protect your digital security. It's no longer wise to be texting or emailing or messaging on Facebook or Instagram anything about your reproductive health or about reproductive health activism even. So get used to picking up the phone and having actual phone call conversations instead. It's very possible that these impacted states will subpoena tech companies like Facebook or Instagram. I mean, Meta is owns it all, right? But Gmail even or Gchat, like all of these tech companies may find themselves legally required to deliver your information that you thought was private, conversations that you had about your reproductive health care in trying to build a case around you and any kind of future abortion care that you might find yourself seeking out. So you've got to be careful about what you're sharing online and how you're protecting your privacy. In today's show notes, we're linking to a really helpful a set of data privacy guidelines from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit founded in 1990 dedicated to ensuring the freedom of technology for you to check out and make sure you're essentially covering yourself and protecting yourself online when it comes to digital privacy and security. Similarly, we got to stop tracking our periods and apps, y'all. If you've been tracking your menstruation, your cycle online in any kind of an app, in any kind of a, uh, a piece of technology that is owned by someone, you don't know how much of that information is going to become available in a court of law. So in order to eliminate the possibility of that personal health data being used against you in a criminal case, delete those tracking apps off of your phone and find a way to track that stuff in written format instead. I also highly recommend being as prepared as possible when it comes to contraception. So currently, no state has banned birth control, but a lot of legal analysts are worried that overturning Roe v. Wade is just a starting point for this very activist Supreme Court. And it really does, in some instances, open the door for further restrictions and very scary possibilities. So you might want to consider obtaining your preferred forms of birth control uh, as much as possible in advance as needed. So talk to your healthcare providers about that. If they're not being very helpful, seek out further resources. I can't recommend Planned Parenthood enough, um, but know that there are, are lots of resources available when it comes to finding ways to get preventative um, you know, contraception. 
as much as possible. And finally, that brings me to just knowing what kinds of funds and, and resources, frankly, are available for abortion in particular. If you find yourself in need of financial or logistical support in seeking out the reproductive care that you need, there are nationwide networks of abortion funds available, standing by, ready to help, and frankly, that could very much use your donation right now if that's the position you find yourself in. So know that these resources are out there. Spread the word about them and support them uh, at abortionfunds.org. And if you find yourself needing that kind of support in one of these states where it is now illegal to seek out an abortion, instead of going to that website, pick up the phone and call for the support you need instead because... You just don't know what search results will even be used against you in a court of law. So the number to call is 855-518-4603 to learn more. That's 855-518-4603. I know that this sounds really scary and that none of us, frankly, thought we would ever be here in our lifetimes. I I was totally in disbelief that this is where we were going to be. Uh, But I feel naive in retrospect for not being more prepared, not being more involved and and talking more about abortion rights uh, previously because I didn't think I had to. I didn't think any of us would have to be fighting this battle because, frankly, the feminists who came before us fought really fucking hard for this stuff. And yet here we are. We have a choice. We can either allow this scary, somewhat dystopian future that we are being presented with to terrify us into submission, or we can allow this moment to be a catalyst, a wake-up call that a lot of us, myself included, needed to get way louder, to get way more involved, to get way less apologetic and more outspoken when it comes to advocating for the fundamental human rights that women need, including the right to be the boss of our own bodies and to have the kind of autonomy to determine how our lives will roll out before us. So I implore you to use this terrible time that we find ourselves in now as a starting block for becoming a much more vocal activist when it comes to women's reproductive or or people who can get pregnant reproductive care. So if you want more information about lots of links and resources that I've referenced in today's podcast, head to bossedup.org slash episode 357. That's bossedup.org slash episode 357. And please share this episode far and wide with the women in your world who are wondering how to begin having conversations with courage, because we need that more than ever. 